What's the state of the pro-life movement in 2020? How did pro-life organizations and citizens build momentum across the country for a stronger force to be reckoned with in the elections? I'm Sheeta Lagminas. You're in the forum. While it's always good and important to talk about the realities and truths of abortion in law, politics, and culture, it's especially important right now as we head into the final stage of the election campaigns when messaging will be flooding the airwaves and inboxes of America's voters. So I'm really glad and grateful to have a highly consequential pro-life national leader whose persuasion reaches across the country and up to the highest levels of government. That is Mar Marjorie Dannenfelser, president of Susan B. Anthony List, a national pro-life group with a mission of ending abortion on, on demand or abortion period by electing leaders and advocating for laws that save lives. Marjorie, I'm so glad to talk with you again. It's been far too long. I've watched you in action through the national media, but the one-on-one -on -one is what I've waited for. So thank you for taking the time. <laughs> Sheila, I've missed you. I've really been looking forward to this today. I have as well immensely. I've watched you with the what you do at Susan B. Anthony List across the country. We can talk about that, how you work, and, and what your what your mission is to elect pro-life leaders in America. And it's like that on steroids right now because all, all these elections are so different. To that note, Marjorie, talk about the fact that Susan B. Anthony lists, as you say in your book, you have a new book out. I want to start with that. Life is winning inside the fight for unborn children and their mothers. Start with the fact, Marjorie, that unlike what abortion activists want people to believe, the pro-life movement is all about babies and their mothers. It's the children inside the womb and the mothers carrying them. That's right. And that's why life is winning. And by the way, that title, Life is Winning, um, comes from, I stole it directly from Vice President Pence, um, who has uses that. And I think originally it was in a, a speech to our organization, but he communicates that a lot because that's really what he believes is what he knows and the way he talks about it and the way we believe is that putting the mother and the child at the center of the debate and elevating that debate to the national level is what wins. And when you hide that issue in the closet, you don't discuss it, you just hope that it'll go away as a politician, it is not only uh, does it make it worse for you, but it, may, it starts to kill and kind of drain the life out of the life movement. Um, that mother and child at the center raised to the national level, now contrasted between candidates and how they view the mother and child, preserving the life of one, um, on, on the one hand, preserving the life of the, um, of, the, uh, of the mother on the other, and then on the other side, um, taking away the life of the child, eliminating the life of the child, and really burying um, so much that, uh, that a mother in a crisis pregnancy needs to deal with. So, it's, um, it's a beautiful contrast, and contrast is a gift um, when it comes to politi politics. And so that's where we are now, choosing between two very, very different worldviews. 
they certainly are different, two very different worldviews. And to that point, I wanted to, I wanted to get to that point. The, the the stark contrast, but not only that, we're in a kind of unusual or interesting set of circumstances with the two opposing candidates, uh, candidate Joe Biden for the Democratic Party, of course, President Donald Trump, the incumbent, uh, the candidate remaining for the Republican Party. But it's really interesting this year, Marjorie, because Joe Biden, Catholic, and that's being played up a lot in the media that for, favors, you know, the, the liberal media that favors Joe Biden. They're playing up his Catholic faith a lot. And yet, and, and well, so, okay, there's that. And yet the Catholic Church certainly teaches the unchanged teaching about human life. And, and Joe Biden formerly supported the Hyde Amendment. So at least that much of him was pro-life and his beliefs was pro-life all the way until he began his candidacy for this election. So what moral instincts do you think made him do so then, back in his past in politics, support the Hyde Amendment? And then where did they go suddenly when he started his candidacy for this year's elections? It's almost impossible to know, of course, what's in the heart of people, what their motivations I are, know. You know, whether they are religiously motivated, whether they're not. But one thing I can say, is that when there's a shift like that, going from saying you're pro-life to be not only pro-choice, but but um, for uh, taxpayers paying for abortions and and being okay with abortions up until birth under the uh, Roe regime, that smells and acts like politics to me. Um, he, you know, the the idea that he's using de, uh, the the lapel label, devout Catholic. Um, says to me that it is political because anybody who actually is a devout Catholic and then sees in this man, um, someone who claims to be that, but then is, then is supportive of abortion up until birth, a central, a central um, concern of the Catholic church worldwide. And then also who is fine with uh, a running mate who says that if your pro-life convictions are religiously inspired, you don't qualify for the bench. You can't be mm -hmm. in a federal court. Uh, which is what Kamala Harris um, communicated during um, federal uh, judge hearings. Those are not the actions of a devout Catholic. Those are the actions of a de devout political person. Somebody who is wanting the candidacy so much that he kneels to the really, um, the most vociferous and vocal and, um, and pro-abortion part of, his, of the base. But I think what's really significant is that while he's doing that, the rest of the Democratic Party, um, while, while the reason he's doing that is because he wants, he, he's working against the tide of the base of the, of the Republican, of the Democratic Party. He knows that he needs believers and vaguely pro-life people, perhaps, in Rust Belt states, battleground states. He knows that they, he needs them to win. And yet his position moved in the opposite direction of them. So he's just trying to paper it over. But honestly, that is just not going to is not going to fool anybody and um, anybody who's paying attention for sure. And the other side of this equation, when I when I say this unusual or interesting set of circumstances, starting with the fact that Joe Biden was very publicly states he's Catholic, he says he's a devout Catholic, he's portrayed as such in media and so forth. And he did support the Hyde Amendment clear until the initial phase of this candidacy when he even entered the race, as we can remember, still supporting the Hyde Amendment seemed to flip within one day, within 24 hours or even an hour. Uh, just to reverse that. 
But then the other side of the equation is Donald Trump, who is it's just interesting, Marjorie, that we've got this Catholic who would formerly supported the Hyde Amendment, who totally abandoned that in the Democratic Party as the presidential candidate. And then the current president, Donald Trump, back when he was a candidate running for office, was didn't enter the race back then, uh, particularly known to be pro-life, if he even was pro-life. And you, yeah. Marjorie, as involved as you are in, in these political campaigns, certainly know the circumstances that led to, to his conversion, if you will, on the life issues and on the pro-life issue, abortion, but even more and more and more all the time to the point where he appeared himself personally at last at this past year's March for Life. Talk about that. What led him to that conversion? Yeah, I do think it's really interesting how they're swimming in opposite directions in the stream. You know, one swimming up and one swimming mm-hmm. Um, it is the charting of the progress and the con- progress of the conversion of one and the deconversion of the other. Um, and in, in, the, in the book that you mentioned that, I, that uh, was just out yesterday, the, it's a story, very much the story of the conversion of Donald Trump um, and, the, um, and the conversion of, of, of the United States in, in very similar fashion, um, mm-hmm. my own conversion. Um, and it all is a story of um, having experienced a burying of the issue either in our personal lives or in our public lives and coming to see in, uh, in the bright light what abortion actually is. And again, it's hard to know what comes first in any kind of conversion. And I think most people don't even know themselves most of the time what comes first, but it always involves some stark light and some stark truth that, uh, that eventually one embraces. So for the president, I don't know how pro-life he was. Um, I know that he was my last choice when he was running in the primary against 17 other Republican candidates, and that I was very uh, wary, leery of his, um, of his position. And so what do you do in politics? What you do, uh, as in life, you look for commitments. This is who you say you are. You haven't acted like that in the past. Mm-hmm. Say, if, say if you're you know, looking at dating somebody, you would say, I don't like this person I've seen in the past, but tell me what you want to be in the future. And then you help that person be who they say they are by mm-hmm. listening to concrete commitments and being accountable with them and walking with them and helping them be that person, which is exactly what um, I and my organization and, and, and the vice president um, did with and for him. Um, and every interaction that I have with him uh, shows me that he is unwavering. And it's not just my personal interactions, it's his actions on policy. It's who he works with and who he surrounds himself with. Um, the introduction to this book is by, um, that, uh, that I wrote is um, by the vice president. And um, he talks about this. And also Sarah Huckabee Sanders wrote the, um, wrote the Ford. Mm-hmm. She had her own experience in the same way with this president. All of us were skeptical, ones who admitted it and then ones who weren't. And all of us say that he is the most pro-life president, especially operationally, that has ever been. And, and isn't it crazy this, you know, Manhattan financier, playboy, pro-choice guy turns out to be the most pro-life president in history at a mm-hmm. moment in time when we really must have that um, to determine the direction of the courts and the law and lives saved in the future. 
that's how that's just how important the presidency is every president knows this that they have so much power i've said so many times marjorie i've repeated what i've heard others say the three reasons to vote are judges judges and judges <laughs> and, and, and that's what they say and that's another thing that's said we recall president obama saying this when when he was in the white house with the republicans across the table and they were talking about the affordable care act the republicans wanted more negotiation with you know with parts of it and and he i we famously remember him saying President Obama, elections have consequences, and I won. I mean, that's just something that's often said, I guess, by anybody in any either party on any matter. But elections do have consequences, and whoever wins does have that ability. That now the nom the nomination is one thing, but then the confirmation process, as we know, especially with Justice Kavanaugh, Judge well now Justice Kavanaugh. Oh my gosh, that's another thing, which gets back to the importance of elections. Again, Marjorie's book is Life is Winning, Inside the Fight for Unborn Children and Their Mothers, newly out. It's a must-have, a must-read, especially right now, before the elections, and well past them, going forward into whichever way this goes, going forward past the elections, past the inauguration, into 2021. There is so much to do. But Marjorie, what you were just saying about all the, all the different candidates you've worked with over the years, you've you know, walked with, you've accompanied, you've, uh, you've advised many, many candidates. I found this very interesting from your book, among so much else. You say this in your book, I had counseled dozens of candidates from the presidential level down to the state legislature. Not one did a better job of communicating the visceral horror of abortion. Mitt Romney, John McCain, George W. Bush, even Ronald Reagan have been given on a national stage many opportunities to authentically witness to the depravity and extremism of abortion all had shied away. I, wanted, I wondered when I read that line, why? Why do you think, Marjorie, they all shied away? I'm particularly pointing in that um, piece of the book to um, opportunities on the public stage during debates, opportunities that really are fleeting and they, they may be only one night and one moment in one night in order to take advantage of a, an opponent's weaknesses on the issue and highlight uh, your own pro-life convictions. Why is, is the question of the beginning of this book, especially in explaining from what I saw, why candidates would bury this, who themselves are strongly pro-life. It is the basic fear that occurs in, it's not just politics, every aspect of life. The fear of um, being the advocate for the just and, and an unpopular cause. And the only way an unpopular cause becomes a popular cause is that it's revealed in all its its grotesqueness, its beauty, um, its connection to other things that you love, other things that you hate. Um, it only becomes, uh, goes from being an orphan issue to a central driving factor in an election, in a candidate, in a campaign, because it has uh, been highlighted and then contrasted with another candidate. But it takes a candidate to do that. Um, all of the, con the consulting class surrounding presidential candidates and Senate candidates and congressional candidates on down, their advice was consistently stay away from it. Do what you've got to do to please the pro-life people during the primary so that they don't cause you problems later. But once you get to the general election, steer clear, put it in a box, pray that it doesn't come out. And if it does, quickly address it, but then move on to something else so that you don't linger over this issue because you'll lose the women's vote. You'll lose, period. And that, in fact, is exactly how they behave. And when they lost, the, the pro-life issue, ironically, got blamed anyway 
whether they hit it or whether they talked about it. Mm -hmm. Actually, when they hit it, it was far more likely to be blamed than, it, than, than if they actually did speak about it. Um, there's something like you tell your kids, like you speak the truth and others will see it, you know. Um, right. And uh, and that it is really it is really true uh, in this, just like any other thing. Uh, the success of the pro-life issue is because of the truth of it. Um, the, the sleepy right. pro-life movement that was there um, a decade ago is awakened now and muscular and not afraid. It's a beautiful thing to watch. And it's a very important one because people are learning more and more and more as these polls show, as Michael knew of Charlotte Lozier, which you're affiliated with, was on this, this uh, podcast talking with me about. The polls are showing more and more Americans are aware of this, and yet the politicians aren't reflecting it. In your book, Life is Winning, Marjorie, you say the Republican leadership at that time, so this is a, a former time not that long ago, it was just several years ago, a handful of years ago, did not train candidates on how to talk about abortion because, as you say, they didn't want them to talk about it. And I thought, oh my gosh, when I read that, you said, but they, they believed it should be under the radar and out of the public eye when they did. And I thought, whoa, that probably lost them a lot of votes. Have they learned from that? I believe so. And the thing that we did was to take something that we knew that they would be comfortable with, something that even pro-choice people could embrace. And that was the 20-week pain-capable bill. Make that the thing that when it came up, that they could go on offense in a debate and say, look, of course I'm pro-life, you know I'm pro-life, but what's on the table right now is a really modest idea that you not abort after 20 weeks. And one, from what I understand, candidate B, you are opposed to that. And in fact, what I understand is that you're opposed to any restrictions on abortion at any time. That's going on offense instead of hiding in the corner in a um, ironically fetal position, hoping that the thing doesn't come up, hoping that it never comes your way. And guess what happens? When you have that much fear and you haven't prepared and your hope is that it never comes up, when it does come up, you're probably gonna screw up. And of course that happened time after time. But mm -hmm. when what our, our job, when we got to the scale where we were able to go door to door and communicate in battleground states to millions and millions of voters, what was at stake? And we're communicating something consistent with what the candidate him or herself has decided they are going to speak about in the middle of the campaign. Then there's a matchup between the grassroots and the candidate. And that creates a mandate for leadership after the election, what they will advocate for afterwards. And so that is exactly what happened in the Senate. Um, the 20-week bill became the central abortion-related issue um, that none of them were afraid of. They had already talked about it. it no one should be afraid of it, but the thing is they limbered up. They started talking about it. And the funny thing is when you embrace that, then you, and you're limbered up, you start talking about it, you view it. Um, and then all the other questions become a lot easier to handle and your heart is in it then. That's been a change of heart and a change of practice. So, so of all of the possible pro-life law, pro laws out there, and there, there have been many attempts and many fall by the wayside that are already on the books or in law when you have a new leadership, say, in New, in new York, Governor Cuomo's radical law was followed quickly by my own state, Governor uh, Pritzker of Illinois, made just as radical a law in the state of Illinois. So everything dropped, parental notification laws, everything dropped in the state of Illinois to make it an abortion mecca. And yet, Marjorie, it's just unbelievable today how anybody, not, not knowing 
knowing how the, the voters of America feel, even those who identify as pro-choice have told pollsters they don't want taxpayer dollars to pay for it. And in a lot of cases, they are. But I want to come back to this because I marked this in your book, Life is Winning, Marjorie Dannenfelser's Life is Winning, Inside the Fight for Unborn Children and Their Mothers, an important book to have on hand for everyone everyone going into the elections and through the elections on into the, our future in America. This is what kind of society will be, we be? What is our worldview? What do we stand for? But when you bring up, I want to come back to this because you just talked about the Pain Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. And I know that's an unwieldy title, right? That's like the 20. <laughs> yes, I, know. Yeah. I always felt that. Uh, the 20 week uh, abortion ban, just because you, if, if, if you got to sure. take it out to that, at least, you know, who can't agree on uh, pain capable once you know, and that's demonstrable, this exactly. child can feel pain. But then again, Marjorie, I thought it's demonstrable that a, that a child, you know, in the birth canal is fully a, a baby, but, you know, yeah. then there's still partial birth abortion. But, but you, you write in your book, the passage of that act, the 20-week act, you say it, 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 it was a, made a prism through which the radically pro-abortion core of the Democratic Party could be clearly seen. Against the demonstrable pain felt by an unborn baby aborted at five months or later, the left's usual rhetoric about choice and women's bodies sounded hollow, out of date, and unspeakably cruel. I wrote in the margin of, the, of this, true, absolutely true, but to whom does it sound that way when you've got David Daleiden's videos that we thought was a total game changer? There were hearings in the House and the Senate watching those videos, hear, hearings about defunding Planned Parenthood, hearings about even the criminal, what, what criminal laws might have been broken. I mean, what laws might have been broken? And, and, and then where did that go? And the fact that the abortion movement is still out there talking about, and the Democrats still talking about choice in women's bodies mm. and the right to choose. Uh, I wonder where did all of that momentum go or it's probably still out there, Marjorie Dannenfelser, you would know. Yeah, it is out there and it did result in some really important things that have not happened in any other administration. There's a total ban on fetal tissue research um, effectively inside the NIH and outside. They, I just recently, the uh, 13 out of 14 requests for fetal research um, were uh, were denied by by the panel set up. So so in that area where David has been, uh, David delighted in exposing the experimentation with the body parts of babies. Um, there there has been progress. The area of Planned Parenthood, we did manage to um, defund sixty million dollars of it, which is just a drop in the bucket to the overall over five hundred billion that they get. Um, but uh, they, I mean, 500 million, sorry. But the, um, but uh, we are right in the middle of that still, unfortunately, because the legislature, the Congress, is, was the uh, entity that passed that in the first place. And it is very difficult for a president to undo it without the cooperation of the, of the Congress. And the, and the biggest problem that we have that is very little known is that the legislative filibuster prevents all sorts of totally reasonable things from passing, including major pieces of the president's pro-life agenda, including the 20-week the bill, the five-month bank-capable bill, including defunding Planned Parenthood from the Medicaid program, which is the biggest chunk. Mm -hmm. And so what really should happen is what the Democrats plan to do if they take the Senate, which they won't, but they could, and they will eliminate that filibuster. That means that no longer, there would only, need be a majority vote on any issue. 
not the two thirds majority required to overcome a filibuster when um, the other side disagrees. So that is the biggest problem. And our Republican friends have not been willing to change that legislative filibuster rule. Um, but the Democrats have already promised that they will. Uh, so that would make an enormous difference. Um, and, uh, and is what I, I'm fighting for this pro-life Senate to win again, this president to win again, and then let's overturn that legislative filibuster rule. And then we can pass so many things that we were not able to do before. There, you have so much work ahead. We all do as a pro-life movement. But in your book, Life is Winning, you say that momentum is building across America, Marjorie, to revisit the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. You say that your book, Life is Winning, makes the case, and, and maybe you don't say this about yourself, but I know others do, that the pro-life movement in America has never been stronger and it provides lessons. I want people to know this, what your book provides for all of us and those in offices or seeking offices in government at any level. It provides lessons for all of us on how to build coalitions that win elections and change national policy. How do you feel about the 2020 elections as compared to any prior to now? I'm incredibly optimistic. I think that each week has a whole new story. We're living in a whole other world. It seems like every week that this is craziness going on everywhere and um, it's just an environment that is politically volatile every single day. Um, the, the book I think tells stories of, of my, my and my team's interactions with um, the, the president, the vice president, the secretary of state, all sorts of people, people we've unelected, people we've helped elect, that help tell the story of, of how you win and especially when, when you win at this point, September basically through election day um, and, and doing this in a way that the left did, but do it better and do it with a more profound, profoundly compelling issue, which is the life issue among people who already agree with us, Democrats, independents and Republicans in the battleground states. From now until then, with absentee balloting and, 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 and balloting on election day, a handful of people in a handful of states are going to win or lose this election for the pro-life cause and that will lead to less than a handful of supreme court justices and other federal judges who will decide whether pro-life laws will stand in states and in the nation at all and it really is a matter of millions and millions of boys and girls waiting to be born we'll either get to do that or we won't and it's amazing to me how beautiful the American apparatus is, what the founders gave to us, those tools are exactly what we need to solve the greatest human rights battle of our age. And we can do it. And in this stretch, that is the task before us. This is the civil rights movement of our time when we see all of the celebration of Dr. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King rightly so. This is the civil rights movement of our time. And it's one that even pro-lifers need to better, better make the case for. So a couple other things quickly, Marjorie, and they are quick. One of them is in, in your book, Life is Winning. You talk about your own pro-life conversion. You referred to that a little bit ago. But, but in the book, you say there was a time when I believed abortion was a good and moral choice. So that's one thing that pro-life, because pro-lifers wonder, how do I make the case? How do I have a conversation with those who believe in the, the so-called right to choose? Right there, maybe, do they begin with the language, the right to choose, and then talk about what that choice is? How, how would you suggest people start that conversation with, with people who say the woman's right to choose? Because that conversation has got to be engaged. I think the best way is first is um, 
evaluate your own your own state of mind and state of being to be very open to listen and to ask questions to really seek to understand before being understood and that really is the first step and anyone who's pro-life when they hear the pro-choice argument is going to have a, some initial um, reactions and as long as those reactions are um, founded in love um, you'll be compelling. I wouldn't overthink the words, though the words, of course, are good, and but they'll hopefully be inspired by God because he promises to give us the words when we need them, right? Um, when you hear somebody say, look, it's my body, it's my choice, um, you're a man, you shouldn't be talking about this anyway, stuff like that, always going to the fundamentals. So what do you mean by that? Do you, you know, your body and your pro-life people say there's a person, what do you think about that? I think you just keep asking questions um, not being a wimp, but doing it in love. And, uh, and you won't, you probably won't win the argument that day, but as in my life, there will be many seeds planted that will come to fruition. It's just a matter of time when they do. So it's always worth doing. And speaking of language, I wonder how much, it just seems to me that this is a really logical thing to do is again, clarity with charity, clarifying when, you know, whether it's Kamala Harris or other Democrats talking about, maybe I've heard this before, the argument, you know, immigration, the border, uh, a border um, situation where they say babies are being ripped from their mother's arms because of, you know, the immigration walls and separating babies from their mothers. And I think, I think, you know, you could put that together in a conversation with babies being ripped from their mother's wombs. Now that might sound like a big leap to a lot of people, but you you have that. And then you also have during the coronavirus time and during the Republican National Convention, some of the reporting on some of the networks, like I know CNN's, uh, one of their their anchors brought up how how it's how it's important it, it is to talk about the numbers of dead and the fact that the coronavirus had at that point taken a hundred and I forget how 130 some thousand or I forget how many but it was a hundred and some thousand lives so far and I thought your book Marjorie Dannenfelser's book Life is Winning talks about the number of babies lives every single day that's mm-hmm. that are being taken by abortion so that's a conversation right it is. And if that's true, everything changes. If it's not true, then this is the most ridiculous movement ever put on the face of the earth. The pro-choice people are right. It is about her body. But if it's, but if it is true, which we know it is, that this is a precious boy or girl created by God, sent lovingly into the world to create to, you know, a purpose that only he or she could achieve, then it is worth saving one. And it is cer- certainly worth saving millions. And think of that. Think of the impact of saving that many lives uh, and the difference it will make in this world when God didn't make any of them, not even one of them, um, to be a failure or to, or to be extra. Not one of them are extra. Um, mm-hmm. So what are the consequences? That's so beautifully put. And finally, Marjorie, how to help you and how people can step up and do more, because we can always do more. You say in the book, Life is Winning, 
Susan B. Anthony lists alignment is not with any political party, but only with our mission to save innocent lives. Our message to both parties, you say, was is the same. If you really believe abortion causes the death of an innocent human being, then you have to act like it or risk the consequences at the ballot box. How can people help Susan B. Anthony list? Because you're on the ground across the country in battleground states and districts even trying to help elect pro-life leaders. How can people help you? Well, then, no matter where you live, there will be pro-life candidates running. Our top priorities are the presidency and the U.S. Senate. Um, some places are battlegrounds and some places are not. But you know who the pro-life candidates are in your, where you live. And those are the people that need and deserve your support in every way. Susan B. Anthony List goes door to door in all those battleground states uh, for Senate and the, and the presidency. We always need help there. We need prayers. That can't, the whole thing can't be done without that. I know that to be true, and I've witnessed it. Um, and, uh, and, you know, just going onto our website and taking a look and finding out what you, where you can, where you, given how you're made and what your gifts are, can be plugged in would be a gift. And that, that website is sbalist.org. It's very easy. Or just Google Susan B. Anthony List, and, and it'll pop right up. Yeah, sbalist.org. The book is Life is Winning, Inside the Fight for Unborn Children and Their Mothers by Marjorie Dannenfelser. Marjorie, there's so much more I'd like to talk with you about. The book is wonderful. Maybe another time, but I know you've got an awful lot of really important things to do and meetings probably lined up. And I'm sure you're exhausted, but probably in a good way, right? Because you're (laughs) spending yourself for the lives and the good of others. Thank you so much, Marjorie. You are too, Sheila. And I just love what you do. Thank you. It's a gift. It's a gift uh, to have you here. So together, I think we're doing, trying to do the work of God and uh, with all of our brothers and sisters out there across the country. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for now. This is important information. It's great to spend time with you and share it. And in fact, speaking of that, thanks for tuning in. I ask you to share this link with others and invite them to join us here in the forum.